0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times uh, with your NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and boy, oh boy, do we have another loaded show for you, not only will we be breaking down everything that happened in the world of NXT this week? Not only will we be providing you with an NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview, where we break down every single match with predictions ahead of the big show this coming Sunday, but we also have former NXT Women's Champion Roxanne Perez joining the show for the very first time. I told you when we are bringing a special episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We always deliver. With that said, we got a ton to get to on today's episode, so I would be remiss if I did not begin, as I always do, with a reminder that this podcast is all about defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five star ratings on Apple. You can leave a five star written review. And if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. We also will have pre and post show polls for you around NXT great American bash this coming Sunday. So you can give us your pre-show expectation grades and your post-show grades for the big premium live event. We love it when you guys interact with us on Twitter. You can call it X if you want. We're still calling it Twitter, at least for now. You can DM us. You can tweet us questions, comments. We will read them live right here on the show. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number Five And I truly hope that you do as well, because for only five bucks a month, you can support this program and become an official getting overhead. Not only will you be supporting us financially, you get bonus audio for Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite and SmackDown every single week. You also get news posts coming from your boy, the Silver King, right into your inbox once a week. So please remember to consider joining us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over for basically the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee. You can support your favorite professional wrestling podcast. As I said, folks, we got a jam-packed show. There's a ton to talk about from NXT on Tuesday, not just in relation to NXT Great American Bash, but also directly things that happened on that show that are noteworthy and may play into future storylines. So we're gonna get into all of that On the back half of today's show, first, I was so excited to sit down with Roxanne Perez for a 20-minute conversation. We got to go over her growing up as a professional wrestling fan, training at an extremely young age, things that she's done already in WWE, her outlook for the future, and I found one personal item about her that we got to talk about that was very fun at the end of the conversation. So please go ahead, enjoy my conversation one on one with Roxanne Perez, the former NXT women's champion. We will do a quick recap of that conversation once it's over, and then we're going to break down everything from this week in NXT. And if you happen to be listening to the show in parts, you want to hear the interview, and then you want to come back and listen to the ultimate preview, or you're here on Saturday or Sunday, right before NXT Great American Bash, you want to make sure you hear that ultimate preview, you're going to come back and listen to the interview at another time, you can always check our episode descriptions where we have timestamps for every segment on every show. So with that said, let's get right to it. Excited to welcome former NXT Women's Champion Roxanne Perez to the show for the first time. You can catch Roxanne on NXT every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. And you can watch her fight Blair Davenport in a weapons wild match at NXT. Great American Bash this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. Roxanne, great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: So this has been a wild 15 months in WWE for you it's been a wild career honestly let's let's say that yeah. uh, but breakout tournament victory iron survivor challenge win nxt women's championship you got to feud with mika satamura now you're facing a woman in blair who has been really successful in her career especially over in japan someone i think fans have really been anticipating seeing in a big time nxt rivalry how much are you anticipating this, and do you see it as a big opportunity for you personally, despite all the things that you've already accomplished?
1: yeah, I, I definitely feel like, um this is really good for me personally. Um, you know, to kind of just show everybody that that side of me that I don't think anybody has really seen before. And I don't think anybody's ever really taken that side out of me before. And I think Blair Davenport came along, and uh, she she tried to take me out. She tried to take me out, and I definitely feel like she tried to take me out because she knew that if I wasn't completely out of sight, out of mind, she would not be able to touch that NXT Women's Championship. So she's continuously poking at me, picking at me, thinking that I I don't have this killer instinct in me. But um, I think this past week I showed her. I really showed her that I have a, (laughs) a very different side of me that I don't think she wanted to see.
0: Well, I can tell you, fans definitely got a kick out of you guys paying an homage to Booker T, Stone Cold Steve <laughs> It's Steve you know not exactly a grocery store brawl, but a convenience store brawl. It's pretty close enough on NXT. We didn't get to see, as fans, Booker's reaction to it because they didn't go to commentary right after it happened. Did he say anything to you? Did he know that you guys were going to do that? And if not, just how much fun was it to do something like that outside of the performance center?
1: Yeah, so I haven't been able to see him after it aired. uh, So definitely when I see him, I'm I'm gonna ask him what he thought. But I think it's so cool to be able to just, um, just kind of relive history in a way and to be able to do something that, uh, you know, my, my trainer kind of did in his career. And, Um, you know, I think that was amazing. Booker T and Stone Cold, that (laughs) grocery store fight was one of my favorites to like, just go back on YouTube and watch as a kid because I thought it was hilarious. Um, so yeah, to be able to do that was pretty cool.
0: (laughs) It's also fun that there's someone at NXT, obviously in Shawn Michaels who, you know, you you can be watching any given show and all of a sudden there'll be this little hint at, you know, a callback to something that happened 15, 20 years ago. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think it's awesome. I was like looking at at, uh, Sean while I was airing and he was kind of watching it. He's like, oh, oh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So really your entire career to this point has been taking advantage of opportunities. I want to rewind all the way back to the beginning. You're 13 years old. You start training. Three years later, you get the chance, obviously, to join Booker T. And we know most of your journey since then. We've seen a lot of that. But at age 13, I'm just going to ask you straight up. How the heck did you convince your parents to let you start training professional wrestling?
1: Uh, So I was like 10 years old when I saw that I was going to become a WWE superstar. And I was very adamant about it. And uh, I told my mom and I told my stepdad and they were like, all right, like if that's your dream, if that's what you're going to do, then okay. And um, I think I was like 11 when my stepdad started taking me to like, local Laredo shows he took me to like Laredo Wrestling Alliance and um they actually had like a little training facility of their own um and I was like I I was 11 years old like I just wanted to be a part of it somehow so I would I my dad asked them if I could um like take the the people's ring like gear off like their jackets I would grab it for them take it to the back Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then when I was about 12, I asked my mom if I could please start training if she could please ask the the owner of Laredo wrestling Alliance was which uh, was Ray Chavaria at the time and she messaged him and she asked him hey can my daughter really really wants to train like is there any way that that can be possible um and he was like, ah you know 11 12 years old seems a little iffy get her into tumbling and gymnastics that will like, help her a a little bit before she actually starts training. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. My mom put me into cheerleading, into tumbling. And then when I was 13, I begged her again. I was like, can you please ask? Like, I know it's only a year later, but can you ask? And so my mom, she's always been my biggest supporter. So there she goes. She asked him and he was like, all right, bring her down. So uh, yeah, my mom was the one that took me to my first training. She sat there. And I was doing rolls. I was doing uh, all this stuff and uh, did a bunch of cardio. And I remember after I was like, I don't feel good. Like, like, (laughs) (laughs) like I feel exhausted. I don't feel great. Mom's like, you want to come back tomorrow? I was like, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's when it sticks. That's what they say. You go the first time you whether you throw up or whether you take bumps and your back hurts you. If you still want to go back day two, then it means that you want to do it. What actually were you able to do in those first three years? Because I I think I read that you didn't have your first match until sixteen, or at least first match in front of people, perhaps. Uh, like, was this your after school activity? Like, you'd finish school and then drive over and train wrestling. Um, the like the bell rings, thirty minutes later you're in your workout clothes taking bumps. Like, what what are what are you doing from thirteen to sixteen, basically?
1: Yeah, so uh I actually had my first match at 14. Oh, okay. So uh yeah, so I, I, I they were like uh local shows, so they're very, very small local shows where I was just trying to get my footing and just have some first few matches. Um and uh yeah, so I would go to school, I would come back home, uh eat some food, and um the some of the guys that I was training with, uh they would I would they would pick me up. From my house, we would go to training. I would train until like eight PM, get back home, go to sleep, go to school. Um, and I was just doing that on repeat training every day to the point where even sometimes my mom would kind of get a little a little worried and she'd just be like, Hey, you know, you don't have to be going to training every single day. Like, don't go hurting yourself. But I was I just loved it. I loved it so much and I just wanted to to just like perfect my craft and become the best version of the best wrestler that I could be because I knew that whether it be when I right when I turned 18 or 19 or whenever it was like I I I wanted to get noticed by the WWE Mm -hmm. as soon as possible and I wanted them to see that I was I was great
0: (laughs) see that's just so interesting because so many kids and you know everyone they they say I want to be an astronaut I want to be a firefighter I want to be a wrestler and you don't necessarily think when they say that That's actually what they are going to want to be three, four years later, once they learn about other professions and things that they can do. But for you, you were with it from the entire time. Was wrestling big in your family before you started watching yourself? Or is it something that kind of you were the one who introduced it as this is something I'm super passionate about?
1: So uh, in my household, we never really watched it. My uncles, um, my uncle Tony and my uh, uncle Luis, they were huge, diehard wrestling fans, Um, and they lived at my grandparents' house. So every time I would go to my grandparents' house, we would go for cookouts, we would go for whatever. Um, I would play the video games with them. I would uh, want to borrow their action figures to play with. Uh, We would go to watch the pay-per-views, but it wasn't until like I kind of started watching it on my own in my house that my my parents were like, You like wrestling? Like <laughs> I haven't watched that in years. But but my mom and my stepdad were huge wrestling fans as kids. They just kind of grew out of it. But um my mom's favorite wrestler was actually Shawn Michaels. So That's like yeah. So growing up, my mom would always be like, Okay, like you can be a wrestler, but uh, you know, like when when you become a WWE superstar, I don't want anything. All I all I really want is to just meet Shawn Michaels. <laughs>
0: now is your boss. So there you go, right? Yeah. (laughs) So three years after you make that in-ring, or I guess further than that, uh, four or five years after you make that in-ring debut, you wind up getting signed by Ring of Honor. You're five months later, you're the Ring of Honor world champion. And there's, it's percolating out there that WWE is interested. Now I'm sure Booker T and a lot of the other trainers you had been working with mentors, they were helping you along, but how soon how early did you know that WWE was actually interested in you before you ultimately signed with the company?
1: So when I first signed with ring of honor, um, I I did hear a lo- little like speculation, like, Oh, like, like my, my friend, Cora Jade, mm-hmm. she was my friend, like on the independent scene. So like, she would relate to me like, Hey, like, wwe is like interested in you and i was like no way like that doesn't seem real (laughs) um but i had already just signed ring of honor and um i I did enjoy ring of honor so i i I did want to like you know kind of evolve a little bit more so i did that for a few months and then ring of honor went out of business and i remember it was the very last um tv taping that we had for ring of honor and uh I was kind of like at a crossroads because I was just like, okay, um, what am I going to do now? (laughs) Like, I don't really have a job now. Um, So I was sitting at that last Ring of Honor taping and I get a call from Connecticut and it was actually William Regal. And he was like, hey, is this Roxy? And I was like, yes. And he was like, this is William Regal with the WWE. And I, I just like lost it. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I like ran outside and he just he asked me like, you know, we we're really interested in you. We would love to see if you would want to be here. Uh, We want to bring you in for a tryout. And I just like literally started crying because I was like, wow, this is insane. This is like the phone call that I've dreamt of my whole entire life. And uh, I remember I called my mom right after that, told her what happened. She started crying and it was just it was a really, really cool moment. Surreal and like full circle.
0: That's a great. So once you stepped into the PC and you got to work, was it a significant transition for you? Because I remember hearing you do an interview and you're talking about how the trainers that you've had, the mentors you've had prepared you for the tryout. But once you got thrown into the fire and that is now your job and you're there every single day, was there any area in which you felt like you needed to make a really big adjustment before you were able to make it to TV? Hmm.
1: I definitely feel like I was very confident in my wrestling abilities when I got to the WWE. I was like, "All right, I got this. I've been doing this since I was 13 years old." I, I, like I said, I was very confident in my wrestling abilities. I think what I was really trying to work on were were my promos because that's something that you don't really work on on the independent scene. Um, you know, you have your matches, you have you have continuous like storylines. Let's say for Booker T's, we had storylines, but I. I never had enough time to work on my promos until I got to Ring of Honor. And I think that that kind of, you know, helped me a little bit because I was having to do a promo before I went and had my match and a promo after my match. Mm-hmm. But I was not fully confident with them. So, um, you know, they they have the best coaches here. They have the best promo teachers here. So um, being able to kind of work on that, get comfortable with speaking in front of everybody. Finding my voice, you know, um, I think that that definitely was something that I that I was trying to work on. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah. There's definitely been no question that there's been progress in that area. I think each opportunity that you get, right, it helps you feel more confident, and then when you get the positive yeah. response, it kind of continues from there. So earlier this year, you were involved in a storyline that, at least to my knowledge, has never really been tackled in a serious way in wrestling, and that's mental health struggles, right? it actually felt like something of like a seminal type of storyline. It relates to a modern younger audience that's just more in tune with that than maybe like some older generations. Was it meaningful for you to be able to do something like that?
1: Yeah. So meaningful. Um, I, I think what a lot of people don't know is that, uh, that that was real. It wasn't just a storyline. I do deal with, um, anxiety. I, I, I've dealt with um, depression and uh, continue to, you know, I, I think it's something that you kind of just kind of tried to, to work around and try to um just try, try to live with and try to kind of find resources to, to, to help you deal with those things. Um, And I think that there's still a stigma around it. And I think I wanted to just kind of break that stigma and, whether it was just me subtly talking about it and making it okay, you know, making it normal to just say, you know, I'm a WWE superstar and I deal with anxiety. You know, I think my main goal was to just, you know, I, I knew that that was something that I needed to watch on TV when I was a kid. I definitely think that that would have helped me. So um, if I could help anyone, whether it be kids, whether it be adults, whether it be anyone that, that needs to hear that, Someone, someone else is going through that as well. Then I'm glad to be the person to to do that.
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of young people, seeing someone 20, 21 years old telling that type of story on TV, someone that they can actually relate to, does mean a lot. And you mentioned it, but that that was my follow up question, which was, you know, you know how wrestling media works. You're young and you're you're just kind of starting out, but you know the way it is, and there's rumors that run around and all that type of stuff. There were reports before that even happened that, oh, you know, Roxanne may not be able to defend her title. There's Uh, an issue. And everyone thought it was a health issue, meaning physical, right? But not to get too personal, just to kind of clarify what you were saying. Even in that moment, that was like blurring the lines of reality and storyline. It was something that you were working through. And you, you know, credit to you for being strong enough to say, hey, not only am I working through this, but I want other people to kind of see what I'm working through.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: That's fantastic. All right. That's great. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Uh, So, Earlier, I mentioned that you've accomplished a lot in your career already. What I failed to note was you got to appear in your first Royal Rumble. Now, for me, other than WrestleMania, the Rumble is my favorite event. It's probably not the best thing for me to say, like, in SummerSlam season, but it just is. (laughs)
1: Honestly, same. Okay,
0: I'm glad I'm not alone with that. Was it particularly special for you not to just wrestle in that match, but in front of more than 50,000 fans in Texas?
1: yes that was insane and uh, i agree with you with like the fact that wrestlemania and royal rumble were like my favorite pay-per-views growing up it's just like that that feeling that you get where you're just the the buzzer is counting down and you're like who is it who is is it going to be a legend is it going to be like who is it going to be that was always my my favorite pay-per-view to watch so um when they told me that I was going to be in the Royal Rumble, it was like mind boggling to me because I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. Um, and even like being backstage in Gorilla and like, like hearing the the buzzer just I mean, the timer go down and then the buzzer just buzzing. It was like, oh, I could still like feel that feeling that I had. Um, and I, I, a lot of people were just telling me, you know, when you go out there, just take in the moment, soak it all in. And that that's exactly what I did.
0: Yeah. And that's not a short walk either. You're, you're, yeah, no. your
1: do you <laughs> I really I mean it in for a good like five minutes?
0: Yeah, they give you a chance to soak it in these days, especially it used to <laughs> yeah. be that they changed that. So it's yeah. really yeah. well known, obviously that AJ Lee was a huge inspiration for you growing up. I remember hearing also that Bailey kind of took you and some of the other younger women under her wing when she was rehabbing down in Orlando. Yeah. Obviously you also got the chance to wrestle and feud with Michael Satamora, which, you know, for some they'd kill for that opportunity, of course. What kind of insight have you been able to take? It can be from Bailey, can be from Mako or just any of the other, you know, veteran women that you've had the opportunity to work with over the last year.
1: Hmm. You know, I think um, Bailey has been like an awesome, like support system here, like being here at the WWE because, you know, she's, she's been through it all. She's been here for so long and uh she's had her highs and she's had her lows so um I think just just she gave me so much advice but I think just you know like staying grateful every every single day you know um there's so many people that are just dying to be here and obviously like you know we're still gonna have our bad days regardless of if we're here as a WWE superstar or not you're gonna have bad days but just. Remembering, like, you know, just just staying grateful and remembering that, like, you know, when you have lows, like there's gonna be a high. So you gotta just wait for it and just keep working hard. and, um, yeah, no matter what, just just stay humble. I think is the most important thing
0: for sure. Well, look, Roxanne, I really appreciate how much time you've given us today. I know you're in the middle, I'm sure of a ton of interviews, so let me get you out of here on this. I'm gonna put you on the spot though, because, I was combing your Twitter profile. I was looking for something personal that I could ask you about. You do a really good job keeping it pretty much all wrestling. And I put it. Yeah. But I did find one thing. Okay. I think you're a Swifty. Is that correct?
1: So I you know, am. Okay. I that's, am that's the only thing I could
0: find. So you, you, you snuck <laughs> so let's make believe uh, you're only allowed to have one Taylor Swift song on your phone for the next year. What song is for it?
1: For the next year. If
0: yeah, only one for one year, you can only listen to one Taylor Swift song. What song is it and why? I told you. Something.
1: That's hard. Yeah, I told you. There's so many, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like have Taylor Swift on repeat like almost every day. So
0: let's start. Let me let me kind of narrow it down for you. Let's start with an album. Which album would it be?
1: I think, yeah, that's hard, too. I feel like it would probably be probably Speak Now is my favorite album. Okay. But I also like her album Evermore. You're cheating. But I think the, the song that I would have on repeat is probably it's called All Too Well. Mm-hmm. And it is a 10 minute version of her original all too well song which was three minutes so you're
0: picking a long long song that way you can get as much as possible
1: yeah that's smart okay
0: that's a smart way to do it
1: and it doesn't even feel like 10 minutes so i know that i could just and i I, i'll have that song on repeat for like a two hour drive
0: i know your schedule is obviously crazy busy but are, are you like actively trying to get to some of these i know this tour that she's doing right now is crazy are you like really really trying hard to get to a concert
1: I did, actually. I actually took my older sister because my older sister, you think I'm a Swiftie. My older sister is a diehard Taylor Swift fan for years. She's she's like three years older than me. And um, I actually surprised her with tickets for her birthday earlier this year in May. So we went. It was in Houston, Texas. um, And it was amazing. It was so fun. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That is fantastic. So look, Roxanne, I appreciate all of the time you gave us. And I'm sure my listeners do as well. You can catch Roxanne Perez every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network, NXT, the weekly television show, of course. And you can watch her fight, probably beat Blair Davenport in a weapons wild match at NXT Great American Bash this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. and I hope it's the first of many.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: What a joy it was to sit down and speak with Roxanne Perez and really for her to open up, not just about her young career, getting started in professional wrestling at age 13, which I can't even imagine being 13 years old. I mean, obviously, I can't imagine being 13 years old, but when I was 13 years old, I can't imagine training that hard and trying to become a professional wrestler. I was nowhere near dedicated enough to anything at that time, you know, to put all of myself into it the way she did. So to see, That gumption from her, the dedication, the desire to do this job and put herself in this position at such a young age. I mean, I didn't mention it, obviously, during the interview. She's still only 21 right now. So in an eight-year span, she went from basically starting to train and doing professional wrestling to winning the NXT Women's Championship, wrestling in the Royal Rumble, fighting Bayley and Maiko Satomura. There's women who've been in this industry for decades that haven't fought Maiko Satomura that would love to do it. And she just keeps getting these incredible opportunities, but not just getting the opportunities, making the most of these opportunities. So, you know, we've done a ton of interviews here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, uh, but never, I don't think, have we ever spoken with someone so young and accomplished as Roxanne. And I wasn't kidding, you know, at the end of that interview, sometimes you say, oh, I hope we speak again. And it's just kind of something flowery and extra that you say, I I would love to be able to speak with Roxanne consistently throughout her career, because you can just tell, you know, that prodigy nickname that she has, that's not just a name. That's not just talk. She is a prodigy in this industry and seeing what she has already accomplished in Texas locally, obviously, Ring of Honor, now in WWE with NXT. I mean, that main roster call-up is not far off, especially if you saw the way she performed in the Royal Rumble, the way she has performed in matches with main roster talent, Rhea Ripley, Bayley, Dakota Kai, Io Sky. I believe she's been in matches with all of them to this point. And she's worked a bunch of... uh matches like dark matches for Raw or SmackDown that ended up showing on main event. So they're putting her front and center in many of these opportunities and being able to kind of address it with her, still so young in her career and young in her life. It's just really uh, impressive. She's impressive as a wrestler, impressive as a person, as you can tell, and the sky is the limit for her. So it was really awesome to talk to Roxanne. I hope we get to do it again sooner than later. Um, And we're gonna be watching plenty of her and we're gonna be talking about her plenty, both on this show and in the future, because she had a huge role in NXT on Tuesday night, as we alluded to in that interview. And of course, she has a big match coming up this Sunday at Great American Bash. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into breaking down what happened on NXT. We're gonna get into some of it right off the top, and then we're gonna save some more for the NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview, which of course will close the show. So Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio opened NXT on Tuesday, and this came after a video package of Dom's stellar week. Ripley talked a lot of shit and overcame a cut the mullet chant for Dom before Wesley came out pissed off about getting jobbed out for his North American title, and he demanded a rematch. Then Mustafa Ali came out saying he loves and respects Wesley, but doesn't respect Dom, who steals everything from catchphrases to finishers. In his anger, he called Wes a clown for letting Dom take the title from him. Ali and Wes got into it. Dom said he'd defend against either or both of them. Then Dom shoved Ali only to duck when Mustafa swung back, drilling Wes. I should note, Dom only said he would defend against both of them because it was Rhea's idea, just as it was, by the way, for Dominic to defend the title on, I think it was definitely Raw on Monday, but it might've been her idea SmackDown on Friday as well. So she's putting him in these positions, which is an interesting storyline element that we haven't really discussed just yet. Anyway, uh, Wes and Ali started brawling. The heels dipped out before realizing the faces realized that their issue was with Dom, not each other. So they stopped. Dom later questioned whether the triple threat was a good idea. He asked Ripley this. Maria said, "Mommy's always right. Just like mommy is always on top." look good, but she's got me saying, "Hey now, hey now." This was an excellent start to the show. It put two of the hottest names in WWE front and center for hour one of NXT, confirmed a main event match for Ripley on the TV show, and set up the North American title triple threat for Great American Bash. Ripley did a great job managing the crowd. It really showed that she's improved her skill in that regard. She was also instrumental in like moving the segment along. Dom was, you know, a smarmy piece of shit as usual as the character is supposed to be. And both Wes and Ollie were strong on the mic. It was Really just a top-notch segment from start to finish. I don't have any notes on the way they opened NXT. So let's go to that main event match, Rhea Ripley against Lyra Valkyria in a non-title match. We saw footage of Lyra challenging Rhea backstage at Raw, saying she didn't want to prove herself against another competitor, but rather she wanted to prove herself against the women's world champion. Ripley seemed to respect her moxie in making that challenge. Valkyria then backstage at NXT said she wanted to make a statement against the best in the company. As mentioned, this was the main event final match on the show. Lyra took advantage of Rhea taunting on the top rope, then caught Dom with a dropkick through the ropes as Ripley dodged it. Ripley caught Valkyria flying only to get it reversed into a spike DDT, which Ripley, I think, sells the DDT better than any woman in professional wrestling today. It is, she stands on her head. It's just incredible the way she does it. She also had a frog splash for a 2.5 count, Lyra did. Ripley then caught her flying with a kick, adding Riptide for the win, in 10 minutes. After the bell, Rhea grabbed Lyra's face and demanded she prove herself and beat JC Jane. Rhea did a great job selling here, as I just mentioned, and Lyra was really impressive against the woman who I just said on yesterday's WWE show is truly top of the mountain in WWE right now. Look, I get it. Bianca Belair, huge fan base. Becky Lynch, tons of fans, more established. Uh, Charlotte Flair, pedigree with the name, and Pushed really hard. And, and there's other Bailey, EO uh, Sky, really talented. There's tons of great women in WWE. But right now, the work Ripley is doing has her number one. If there was a power rankings, Rhea Ripley would be the number one woman. And honestly, she might be like top five overall in all of WWE. This was definitely a coming out party this match for Valkyria, just in terms of her being a true NXT main event caliber talent. We've talked so often on this podcast that she has a really high ceiling but we haven't really gotten to see it from her. And also, the finish has been holding her back, not having a solid finisher. You know, she used the frog splash here. Use the frog splash, it looked good. It's the best any of her finishers have looked to date. Uh, The added bonus of Ripley not attacking Valkyria, but rather putting her over and demanding better from her, that was just the cherry on top of an already strong match. I'm glad they did it this way, rather than have Lyra prove herself to Rhea without this match happening. It just added depth to their story. And look, it may have also created a potential partner for Ripley on the main roster at some point. This is what I've always talked about when it comes to the women's tag team division. You need to establish a few teams, absolutely. But what you also need to do is take most of the women's singles division and have them occasionally interact backstage or tag in a match with a peer. That way you have a ton of potential teams that you can utilize at any given time based on your needs for storyline, or just if you don't have anything to do with a couple people now they're in the tag team division they're actually wrestling matches. This is an example of how you accomplish something like that in storyline. If Valkyria, if Ripley for some reason was getting teamed, you know, double teamed two on one uh, on the main roster by a couple faces, I'm not sure why or how that would happen because Ripley's dominant. But let's just make believe this is the situation and need someone to get her back. Now you can bring in Lyra as her partner. And it's not out of nowhere. It's been established that they have a working relationship. So I would love to see something like that. And I got to tell you too, you know, we got the tease with JD McDonough, which they've kind of gone away from on Raw. Lyra has this relationship with Rhea Ripley. You guys know I love factions and stables. The only thing I like more than the fact that a faction or stable can exist, you know, for four people, is when it's more than four people. So the Bloodline was at its best when it was like six people, right? And. The idea of Judgment Day, possibly adding Lyra and JD and becoming a six-person stable, at least temporarily, that's really enticing. I would love to see them do something like that. So we had Von Wagner against Javier Bernal. Wagner hit his waistlock, Uranagi, for the squash victory in one minute. He tried getting the crowd to cheer for him after the bell. It was kind of muted. However, once they chanted table, he just said, okay, took Bernal and powerbombed him through the announce table to a much bigger pop. While he was celebrating that, seconds later, he had the soul speared out of his body by Braun Breaker in a blindside attack. Wagner looked like like Hulk from Avengers Endgame, you know, when like the soul leaves the body, you see both of them. That's what that was right there. Uh, Breaker then grabbed the steel chair, swung it directly into the ringside mat. I think that was purposeful as a means of like threatening and scaring Wagner that he could have done it to his skull, but didn't. Otherwise, if it wasn't purposeful, it was a bad botch, but I'm pretty sure it was on purpose. Now, the match was obviously nothing. The gimmick idea of Wagner doing whatever the fans tell him to do, it's actually kind of intriguing if they run with it. He could definitely get over just with that. Braun going at him here, it made sense. He's one of the few large named dudes still left as an opponent for him. I kind of assumed Breaker was going to get the call up after SummerSlam, given his recent trajectory. Maybe they're delaying that. Maybe it was a poor assumption of mine in the first place. Or maybe it's as simple as Breaker getting this one to two week storyline with Wagner and then getting the call up because they could easily just have him beat Wagner next week or in two weeks on NXT and then bring him up, let's say, to SmackDown after SummerSlam. Gable Steveson entered the ring to chance of his name and USA for the planned career decision announcement. Steveson introduced himself, put over all of his accolades, saying he could become America's first two-time Olympic gold medalist in wrestling he could return to Minnesota and win the third NCAA Heavyweight Championship, or he could begin his NXT career. Baron Corbin interrupted, saying he should choose either of those first two options and just don't pick NXT, giving him career advice. Corbin said if Stevenson stays, he'll make him fail. He talked about towing the line his whole career and then put Gable over as a bad man, but he pointed out, in WWE, you swim with sharks, and Corbin said, I am one of them. Stevenson said Corbin helped make his decision that much easier challenged him one-on-one to his first match ever at Great American Bash. He immediately hit a German suplex, then moved Corbin into a belly-to-belly suplex. And look, for this being Gable's first solo promo, I'd say he did well enough. He showed a bit of fire. He carried himself decently. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was more charisma than I expected from him based on all of his main roster appearances but less charisma than I expected from his last couple NXT appearances where it looked like, oh, this guy does have some fire in his belly. He didn't, it was right in between. It's like better than I expected, but also simultaneously worse than I expected. It's kind of tough to contextualize the entire thing. Corbin was his normal self. Seeing him just show up in street clothes coming off that series of vignettes, that really confused me as to what exact changes he's made to his gimmick. He's thrown out all the other stuff He's telling the story about being a changed man and, and you know, trying to find a successful part in him. And then he just shows up. And look, we're going to talk about this match booking when we get to the ultimate preview. But overall, I'd say the segment was successful. I just really don't understand why Corbin is the one facing Steveson. I mean, let me clarify. I do get it. He's a safe worker. It doesn't make sense for Corbin. It does make sense for Steveson. Dana Brooke fought Cora Jade in a kendo stick match. Dana threw Cora over the announce table, but stood on it and got tripped downward. Jade drilled Brooke in the abs a few times, then body slammed her on a stack of sticks. Then she used one to aid in a crossface. Cora trapped Dana in the corner with a kendo stick and hit a huge pump knee, only for Dana to counter a DDT. Brooke then hit the handspring elbow, but Jade immediately hit her DDT finisher for a false finish that drew almost zero reaction for two reasons: one, she doesn't hit the DDT well; two. A plain DDT in 2023 is not a good finisher. I've been saying it for weeks. Cora then got really full of herself. She started taunting the faces, Kalani Jordan and Brooke, only to eat a drop to hold into a steel chair. Brooke took a couple shots with that steel chair and wore Jade out with a pink kendo stick. Then she stacked five sticks on top of a chair, suplexed Cora into it, and then hit a swanton bomb for what I would call an upset victory in just under eight minutes. This may well have been the best match of Dana Brooks' career. Now, look, that may not be saying much because this wasn't particularly great, but she sold really well from bell to bell and her work was pretty solid from bell to bell as well. As I've said before, the DDT finisher Makora, awful. I'm also not really sure what's happening with her. It's kind of been this slow decline in everything from wrestling to overall presentation ever since she like dropped out of the main event scene months ago. If you remember back at that time, we said it was way too early for her to be pushed like that. And in retrospect, that kind of has proven true. Even though I felt like she did better then than she's doing now, there should be no regression once you go into a main event scene. So that remains confusing. And just everything about her right now, it doesn't seem to be clicking. Everything from the look to the promos, the wrestling, it's just, it's not like it was a couple months ago, and they got to figure out a way to find what they had before and build upon that. I'm sure she will figure it out. She's still young. It's just noticeable to me. Dijak got a promo package talking shit about Eddie Thorpe saying winning NXT Underground one match in NXT Underground was not enough for him to be in championship contention. Dijak said you need more than one win to challenge for the titles, especially when he's going after them at the same time. This was probably the least corny version of this new DiJack character that we've seen thought it was a solid promo, and if they can head more in this direction, that'll be positive. We saw footage of Angel Garza and Humberto Creo arguing in the parking lot after losing their match last week. Creo demanded Garza listen to him for the first time in their lives. He screamed they needed to stop chasing women and instead chase glory, saying it was time for them to wake up. Creo walked away from Garza, but it seemed more like they were both letting off steam, not that they were splitting up. And that's a good thing. We discussed last week how them returning to NXT and being reinvented together as a strong tag team makes the most sense long-term. And this being used as a device to like refocus them, it's a great idea. This was also the best Creo has ever sounded speaking English. He's obviously been practicing, so credit to him for that. I still believe the ceiling is exceptionally high for these guys in NXT. They just gotta set them on the right course. I'm gonna give you a little spoiler. I would change the tag team titles at Great American Bash and not long from now, I would change them again and strap up Garza and Carrillo. They would be great as tag team champions in NXT. Drew Gulak pulled Charlie Dempsey off Miles Bourne while they were training, saying most of the talent in WWE is not tough enough to train with them. Damon Kemp stepped in, saying he has grip and he wants training partners that can actually push him. Gulak and Dempsey agreed to give it a shot. Now it's been a long delay since we first thought Gulak might be developing a new catch point like Faction, that was his old stable in Evolve, and they just haven't really expanded their gimmick beyond the two of them. Obviously, Thea Hale, that came in for a storyline, but she was never gonna be there permanently. Gulak and Dempsey as a pair, it works. But moving to an actual group Faction stable, whatever you wanna call it, would make them far more interesting than just being a two-person team. And Kemp, as we know, would be the perfect person to join them given he worked so well in Diamond Mine previously. You could even say, look, we want Ivy Nile to remain with the Creed brothers. But if WWE is going to call up the Creeds to the main roster and they are going to leave Ivy in NXT, Ivy working with these guys would not be a bad idea either. So that's everything that happened on NXT. And yeah, some of that did, of course, relate to Great American Bash, but it was longer storylines that played out. So we wanted to break it down here, but a lot of it didn't. And that's why we wanted to talk about it separately. So with that said, let's get into the NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview. We're going to have Nathan Frazier, Dragon Lee, Ulyssa Leone, and Valentina Farois fight Metaphor in an eight-person mixed tag team match on the kickoff show. First time in a long time we've had a kickoff show match in WWE. Now, this developed Tuesday further as Metaphor hosted the Supernova Sessions with Noam Dar still catatonic holding the picture of the Heritage Cup. They all said that Frazier never actually beat the real cup champion and then surprised Dar with what looked like the actual Heritage Cup. That completely snapped him out of his haze. Of course, Frazier and Dragon Lee walked out with the actual cup. Frazier called Dar a fraud. Dar pointed out Frazier's the fraud because he never beat him for the cup. Leon and then Ferois attacked the heels from behind with the guys hitting stereotope suicidas to end it. Look, the truth about this segment, it's simple. I'm bored, brother. It just didn't work the heels went on way too long. There was no juice that's actually been built up throughout this rivalry. I'm not saying that it doesn't make sense. The feud does make sense. All these people have been involved in and around these groups previously, like Leon and Faroiz watched Lee and Frazier compete uh, for the cup. And obviously, you know, Dar and Frazier and Lee and, or Omenza, they've all worked together. So it all makes sense. It's just kind of boring. Like, none of it really feels intense or that it matters. I do think as a kickoff show match, though, this has a chance to be sneaky. Great. Obviously, Frazier, Lee, Dar, and Mensa can all go. Leon and Feroce are impressive every single time they get a chance in the ring. And Lash, Legend, and Miss Jackson, they've been doing much better together than Legend did as a solo. So throwing them all together and just saying, go have chaotic fun for 10 minutes it might work really well. I have a feeling the match is going to be way more entertaining than the feud has been. In terms of a prediction, if this was TV, then I would pick the heels to win. It makes the most sense because you're going to want to move to Dar and Frazier in, I don't want to call it a rematch, but a match for the cup. So you want the heels to win and that to progress out of it. But because it's a kickoff show on a premium live event, I just have a feeling they're going to go with the baby faces. Obviously, this prediction and this result doesn't matter as much as everything else that happens on the card, but I did want to mention that. So let's move to Gable Stevenson against Baron Corbin. Obviously, this will be Stevenson's debut match, period, in WWE. We already broke down everything that happened on NXT, so if you happen to be listening to the show closer to Great American Bash and you're just here for the ultimate preview, you missed it, just go ahead and rewind like five minutes and you can go listen to that breakdown of Stevenson Corbin. But anyway, look, it's kind of odd that Corbin has such this consistent issue with American Olympic wrestlers, Chad Gable, Kurt Angle, and now Stevenson. He was also Angle's last match and now Stevenson's first match, which is just an interesting kind of parallel. But look, this booking, it just doesn't make that much sense to me. You have to imagine NXT is not going to have Gable lose his first match. So it confuses me why they would use Corbin here when they're smack in the middle of rehabbing and rebuilding him. It's one thing for Corbin to lose to the NXT champion when Carmelo Hayes beat him. It's quite another for him to lose to a legitimate rookie neophyte who's never been inside the squared circle before for a match. In kayfabe, Corbin has already hit rock bottom and he was in the middle of trying to ascend out of rock bottom by burning his old gimmicks and transitioning into something new. Now you're gonna have him lose and not just lose, but to a rookie wrestling his first ever match? And on top of that, it's probably going to be short, right? I just don't understand the creative decision here. There's plenty of other guys who could have given Stevenson a safe match. Gulak, for example, could have tried and failed to catch-wrestle him, thinking that he would have the advantage in a WWE ring, only to understandably lose to an Olympic gold medalist. In fact, I think Gulak would have been the perfect first match for Stevenson. Instead, it's Corbin who... He's a safe worker, and Stevenson's going to end up having probably a pretty damn good match against him. That makes sense, but you're hurting the character. Whereas someone like Gulak wouldn't be hurt by losing to Stevenson. So we'll have to see how this plays out. My prediction is that Gable wins. I would be shocked if he makes his debut in NXT and loses right off the bat. They have an Olympic gold medalist and a two time NCAA heavyweight champion lose to Corbin. I don't think they're going to do it. So Steve sends my pick, but I'm just kind of confused. Maybe on the instant analysis, my tune will change and I'll say, oh, now I understand exactly why they did this. And if so, you all know, anyone who listens to this podcast, I'm not only capable, I'm happy to make mea culpas when they are necessary. Let's move to Roxanne Perez against Blair Davenport in a weapons wild match. So as I mentioned during our interview, Uh, Roxy attacked Blair in a convenience store. Monday night, they wound up brawling through the aisles. Roxy slammed one of those glass doors into Blair's head. Perez then talked a bunch of trash as cops showed up outside and she dipped out of the store. This was actually really well done. The one thing I'd have changed is, so they switched camera angles a lot. They did CCTV, cell phone video, but then they mixed in a full HD, normal, high-level camera. That should not have been part of the production. It took away from the realism. If you only used the cell phone footage and the CCTV footage, then you're like, wow, this, you know, even though you know obviously it's kayfabe and it's fake, you look at it and you say, oh, wow, this is really cool the way they did it. It actually looks like it's real, like it's footage compiled as police would compile footage. Instead, it was, oh, yeah, there's an HD camera and I'm seeing everything perfectly clear. So someone had to know that that was happening, even though the entire thing started with Blair taping an IG video, an IG live video on her own camera. So that's what I'm getting at. It was still good, though. Don't get me wrong. An obvious homage to the Booker T, Stone Cold Steve Austin grocery store brawl from a quarter century ago. Yes, I feel old saying that. This, of course, led to that weapons wild stipulation. The stipulation feels a little random to me. The feud's intense. It hasn't really been filled with weaponized attacks. This was the stipulation for Roxy's Halloween Havoc match that she won against Cora Jade. So it seems like this might be her personal special match type. And then we get into this match and, you know, I could make a case for why Davenport needs to win. Like, you have to remember that Davenport, be a priestly previously, you know, she was a big time star coming to WWE out of uh, stardom. Obviously, she wrestled elsewhere in between both of those but she's a a big name. She's extremely talented in the ring, clearly a great promo, and she should be part of the main event picture in NXT. She really should be challenging for that title sooner than later. The problem is right now, the champion's a heel herself, so I don't know that that program is what they have planned coming up. You also have Blair already defeating Roxy one-on-one on television, so if you're gonna run it back, you would think the baby face is gonna come out on top. So I'm gonna pick Roxanne Perez to beat Blair Davenport in this match. I just would not be at all surprised if Blair won. You know, Roxy, obviously being young still and already having that first NXT title run, the idea of her going on a little bit of a losing streak and then working her way back into that main event, that would be totally fine. Blair, you could argue losing it. Well, she made this big return after attacking all those women. She did beat Roxy the first time, and then you just have her lose. Now what? You know, that's fair, but someone has to lose. Like, this is how these matches work. And I think introducing weapons into it gives Blair an excuse that she might be able to use losing to Roxy in this way. Tag Team Championship, Gallus, defending the titles against the D'Angelo family. Tony D'Angelo on NXT was backstage thrilled with the reception that fans gave him last week. Stack said they'd reclaim the streets of NXT by winning the tag team titles. Bronco Nima and Lucian Price confronted them. Talking mad shit, that led to a match. So we had the D'Angelo family against Nima and Price. Scripps was on commentary with Booker T trying to clown him by calling him Reggie and saying he's not from the hood, which I just found to be hysterical. D'Angelo family did some really cool double team hip toss offense. The Heels did a cool toss, catch, drop, gutbuster on stacks. Axiom attacked Scripps out of the crowd. D'Angelo then got the hot tag. Before hitting bada bing, I'm not even sure how to describe this move. It was like a double Push spine buster, like the almighty spine buster, but they fell backwards after they started doing the move. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, while they were still in the ring, Gallus got a promo from the bar saying the D'Angelo's freedom will amount to nothing once Gallus takes them out. This was a really nice warm up match for the challengers, and they did look good in the ring here, both individually and as a team. It was also a more legitimate first showcase for Nima and Price, who do seem to have a spark. They kind of remind me of Briggs and Jensen when they first started, like super rough around the edges. Briggs obviously was more experienced than Jensen, but still rough around the edges. But you could tell there was something there that could be built upon. That's how I feel with Nima and Price. They have the intrinsic athleticism. They have the ability to go in the ring. They ran the ropes well. They did all the basics well. It's just, can they actually develop them as a team? Because they definitely look the part. Now, in terms of a prediction for the match itself, Gallus against D'Angelo family, we've been very clear on this podcast for months now. The Gallus tag team title reign, it's just not working. It's not getting over. Uh, You know, I think Joe Coffey returning has definitely helped because it's given them someone who can legitimately cut a promo and get people excited for feuds. But they just told this entire like two month long D'Angelo story where he's incarcerated. And we already went over the machinations of that last week. And if you're going to end that without these guys winning the titles, when there's no other babyface challengers that are clearly next in line, for me, that just would not make a shred of sense. So I do have a title change happening here. I do believe D'Angelo family walks out with the tag team titles over Gallus. And as I mentioned earlier, my hope upon hopes is, you know, a couple months from now that Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza are the ones to ultimately take the titles off the D'Angelo's. But I do have a title change right here in the tag team championship match. Let's move to the North American Championship triple threat match, Dominic Mysterio against Wesley and Mustafa Ali. Obviously, we already discussed how this came about earlier on the show. So really, let's just move into the analysis and prediction part of the entire thing. You know, when it was just Wesley and Mustafa Ali before Dom won the title, I did think there was a legitimate shot that Ali beat Wes. It would have been a totally fine way to end Wes's extended title reign, obviously, with Ali being a main roster superstar coming back down exceedingly talented in his own right. Ali has also done a lot of underhanded things and made a lot of snide comments where you could see them going into the match starting respectful with a handshake, and then Ali somehow at the end cheating, winning the title, and it being this big controversial moment. Except they've changed the title now, and neither of these guys are champion going in. Rather, that's Dominic Mysterio. And what do we know about triple threat matches? We know that there are basically no rules. It's basically a no DQ. So when you have Mysterio here and you have to make the presumption that Rhea Ripley will be ringside with him, and you have the fact that Dominic just won this title you know, a week ago, and SummerSlam is coming up and a lot of people, yours truly included, believes Finn Balor might win the World Heavyweight Championship and suddenly every member of Judgment Day will have something to lift in the air and, and celebrate together and look like a truly dominant faction, I just don't see why you would take the title off Dom in this scenario. It doesn't make any sense to strap him up just to be a transitional champion between Wesley and Mustafa Ali. Based on what we saw on SmackDown last Friday, I do believe the idea is for him to be a transitional champion between Wesley and and Dragon Lee with Rey Mysterio in Dragon Lee's corner. I could see that being a big time match at the next NXT premium live event. So I have Dominic retaining here and just remember that prediction, the next PLE or maybe even just a big special episode of NXT on television. Dominic against Dragon Lee, Rey Mysterio in Dragon Lee's corner and Dragon Lee walks out as a North American champion. That's coming in the future. Let's stay in the present and move to the women's championship match. Tiffany Stratton defending against Thea Hale in a submission match. Stratton called herself the epitome of a WWE Women's Champion during a promo package, saying she wouldn't let her first premium live event as champion be ruined by a brat. She said it would be a catastrophe if Hale won the title, and she gave her a rematch purely out of the goodness of her heart to placate the fans. We later got a training montage for Hale, with Andre Chase kind of reminiscing about her entire recruitment, and Duke Hudson taking credit for her improvement, but explaining why everyone to this point who has doubted her, has been proven wrong. Hale said that she was ready to prove people wrong herself and she could win the title. Now, both these packages were perfect for their respective women. Stratton's was more straightforward. She just always, to me, sounds overly rehearsed and scripted whenever she talks. She badly needs to work on that. Chase Yu, far more natural, all three of them, with Hale sounding legitimately passionate and excited for the opportunity. She remains a bright spot in the NXT women's division and her ceiling, I'm telling you, It is super high. In terms of her prediction for the match, you know, Stratton just got strapped up. Let's not forget that. She just won this women's title. The fact that it is a submission match, of course, plays into the Kimura lock that Hale has been utilizing, but it also serves as an opportunity for Stratton to surprise her with a new submission finisher that she can use alongside prettiest moonsault ever. Not to draw the direct comparison, although it is pretty, you know, obvious, Stratton very well may be on this Charlotte Flair trajectory. And what does Flair have? Not one, not two, but really three finishers. She has natural selection. She has the spear and of course the figure eight. So Stratton, prettiest moonsault ever is fantastic. It does take a long time to set up. So what you really need to do is create another quick type of finishing move for her. She probably needs one that's gonna be a pinfall finisher, but a submission finisher would be a great way to kind of Continue building her character, building her skill set, and building her dominance in some ways as women's champion. What I would love is if something happened where it's, you know, she uses a submission finisher, beats Hale, surprises everybody, retains the title. And then, like next week, we learn that she went to Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey and they taught her a move that could either counter the Kimura. Or just taught her a submission move that she now uses. That would be a fun little element they could add. But I do have Stratton retaining the NXT Women's Championship over Thea Hale. You know, I'm just realizing this now, and obviously, match grades don't matter that much. I do like to give you certain grades on matches just as a suggestion to go watch them. But Ripley and Valkyria that we talked about a while ago on the show, I did have it graded for some reason. I'm just kind of going through my notes here as I'm doing the show. I realized I didn't say it. I gave them four stars and an A minus. I thought they were fantastic in the ring together. So if you did not see that match, Ripley, Valkyria, you can fast forward the, probably the final, let's call it 25 minutes of NXT and watch that match before the final segment on the show, which involved the men. We're going to talk about that momentarily, but Ripley, Valkyria, definitely a worthy match to watch. If you have not seen it yet with that, let's move to the main event of NXT Great American Bash, Carmelo Hayes defending the NXT Championship against Isla Dragunov. Now, a lot happened on NXT leading into this. We had Hayes, Dragunov, and Trick Williams against Schism. This was the first match on the show. Dragunov hit Constantine Special early, but Joe Gacy dodged him outside when he tried Torpedo Moscow. Instead, he nailed Trick with it, with Trick flying backwards into the steel steps. That obviously pissed off Melo. Dragunov. Countered Gacy's handspring lariat, busted his mouth open with a kick. Two schism dudes in yellow masks pulled Diet off the ring apron late. We never learned more about them. Dragunov was ready for the finish, but Hayes tagged himself in for nothing but net and the win. Mello then held Trick back from attacking Isla after the bell due to the incidental contact we talked about. Mello and Isla later had a respectful face to face backstage, but Trick came in. He shoved him. He got really angry. Mello tried to calm him down, saying, I got to worry about defending the title against this guy on Sunday. But Williams, he was unrelenting. He wanted a piece of Dragunov before NXT ended. So Isla got fully dressed in his suit and his turtleneck in the locker room. Melo confronted him about Trick still having an issue. Dragunov said he would break Williams if he couldn't get over his challenge and then threatened Hayes as well. It was all in like babyface kind of character, but just with a strong, confident attitude. It was again clear by their body type that the masked dudes from the match were the Creed brothers, which as I've said before, I just don't see why you would run a loser leaves NXT stipulation when this is a developmental territory and not pay it off by a call-up. The action was strong throughout here with an interesting twist being the animosity between Williams and Dragunov. I didn't see much good reason for Dragunov to wrestle two matches in one show or have two fights in one show But Trick did get to show a ton of personality and gumption here, which we see the personality from him all the time, but we don't really see him stand up for himself and get aggressive and want to fight people. So that was a different side to his character that we finally got to see. Now, the final segment of NXT was Trick calling out Isla, who emerged for a ringside brawl. Williams was all over him early, but Dragunov changed the momentum with German suplexes outside, Isla stepped over him, so Trick grabbed his ankle. Dragunov was pissed and delivered that falling forearm plus another running dive forearm. Then he lifted Trick into the corner for Torpedo Moscow, only for Melo to run down the ramp into the ring and sacrifice himself in the final moment. Isla called Melo a loyal person and a man of honor. He suggested that he hang on to the friendship because Melo is going to lose the title. So look, this was well done. Let me be very clear. I just found it kind of unnecessary. It felt like they squeezed two weeks of storytelling into a single show. If the six-man match happened last week and Dragunov fought Williams one-on-one this week, that would have made a lot of sense. Instead, Trick just kind of ended up looking like shit here for really no good reason, just because he stood up for himself. It did add another element to the Mellow-Trick relationship where Trick's not the only one, you know, stepping in front of the train for Mellow. It goes both ways. Mellow's doing it for Trick as well but we already knew they were close. I'm just not sure it was needed. It also didn't necessarily push the main event forward at all, unless the idea is that Trick is going to get involved in the match, even though Melo doesn't want him to, just because he hates Isla so much. Now, even though it didn't add anything, I'll say it didn't detract from it either. And to be fair, look, I always complain on this show that the main eventers for NXT premium live events are never on the go-home shows. And this time, they weren't just on the show. They were all over the show. It's actually the women who weren't live on the program for their build, although they did get their video package type of segments. I digress back to this. So what we got Tuesday, definitely enjoyable and entertaining. I don't know that it amped up or added anything to the match that significant. But that said, once we get to Great American Bash and we see the match storyline and the way the finish plays out, Maybe that will all come together and make some sense. In terms of who's gonna come out with the NXT title, you know, the easy prediction is Mello, and that will be my official prediction. That's who I think wins this match. The only reason you take the strap off Hayes is if you're calling him and Williams up to the main roster. He just became NXT champion. He's the top babyface in the company. And you do not always need to do what you did with Braun Breaker, where, you know, he won the title, then he lost it to Dolph Ziggler, then he wanted it back from him and had a long reign. That's repetitive. I don't necessarily want to see the same thing. It is kind of tough to say that. Mello's just going to go over Isla, the guy, one of three people technically, but two in singles competition, who has pinned Gunther in WWE. You're just going to put Mello over him you know, like it's nothing in this spot. But man, talk about the elevation for Melo. If he does beat Isla Clean, you're saying, hey, this is a guy who's so good, such a great NXT champion that I can believe him going head to head with Gunther because he beat the guy who did beat Gunther. If they do decide to strap up Dragunov and call up Melo and Trick, great. That makes total sense. Dragunov would be a fantastic champion. If they strap up Dragunov and don't call up Melo and Trick, I will be less enthusiastic about that. I'll say that the title reign wasn't that successful. And if they do just run it back, again, what they did with Breaker and Ziggler, and then just have Mello beat Isla two months down the line, it'll feel unnecessary, most likely. Now, the match I think is gonna be great. I do think it will be the match of the night on the show. I think there's gonna be a lot of high quality matches on NXT Great American Bash. This one, if you had to ask me going in though, It's not just the main event in terms of the most important match. It, going in to me, is my odds-on favorite to be the best match on the entire show. Now, with that said, let's wrap this up with a pre-show expectation grade for Great American Bash. And I got to tell you, I'm going to be decently high here. I wouldn't say that the build for Great American Bash is as great as the build was for Stand and Deliver or for some other fantastic NXT premium live events. And I mentioned Stand and Deliver, but really the standard, the marker now that each of these NXT premium live events is trying to live up to, it's Battleground from May. That was just a tremendous show from start to finish. It opened with that great North American title match. It was Melo and Braun Breaker in the rematch, Lyra and Tiffany Stratton, uh, Dragunov and Dijak. That match was an absolute banger. So you need to leave, live up to Battleground. And Battleground, I'm forgetting what we gave it coming out. I want to say I gave it an A, but maybe at worst I gave it an A- minus as my post-show grade. Going in though, I was in the B range, B or B+. plus. So I'm going to be higher here for Great American Bash largely because I do believe Melo and Dragunov is going to be an absolute banger. Stratton and Hale, we know what they can do. The North American Championship Triple Threat, that's going to be a lot of fun. And Roxanne Perez Blair Davenport... I'm really looking forward to that. The way this can get put over the top and made into a true flat A show is if Gable Steveson really impresses, if the tag team title match is great, and Stratton Hale is better than just good. That It's gonna need that to go beyond an A minus. And an A minus is generally the highest I will go for a pre-show expectation grade unless the card is just ridiculously outstanding. So for this, for NXT Great American Bash, The pre-show grade is a B plus that creates enough of a gap between my grade and a ceiling for the show where they'll have an opportunity to exceed it. And obviously there's a floor that's much lower that it could always go as well. But from what we've seen with these NXT premium live events, they put a lot of high level effort into it. And I do believe with the storylines coming in, the matches on the card, this is gonna be a fantastic show. So a reminder in terms of the way we're gonna finish covering NXT This week on Sunday, as soon as NXT Great American Bash goes off the air, we will indeed have an instant reaction podcast for you right here with the Getting Over Wrestling podcast It will be in this feed just about an hour after that show goes off the air. Need a little bit of time to take some final notes, and then we have to tape and publish the show. But almost immediately after Great American Bash ends, you will have an instant reaction podcast in your feed for you to listen to, whether it's late Sunday night, First thing Monday morning, we will be here for you. Between now and then, we still have two more shows this week. Obviously, we already had the WWE episode on Tuesday. This is your NXT episode on Wednesday. On Thursday, early in the morning, we will have an exclusive two on one interview with the Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins. You absolutely do not want to miss that. And then Thursday, late afternoon, We will have your weekly AEW episode, of course, next Tuesday here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will be your WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. So if you enjoyed this, I promise you will enjoy that. Vintage Chris Vanini will be back joining me as a co-host for that episode. On the way out here, let's do what we always do. Allow me to remind you that this show is all about So please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget, I happen to love the number five. For five bucks a month, you can support this show. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash over. Become an official Getting Overhead. Not only would you support us, you get bonus audio and news posts every single week. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That way, you can not only get episode drops, news analysis, and highlights, but you can leave us your own NXT Great American Bash pre-show expectation grade and post-show grade. We will post a poll one hour before Great American Bash begins and as soon as it goes off the air. And we will read your grades right here on the show thanks to everyone for listening to this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast thanks again to wwe and roxanne perez for joining us today at this point it is time for the silver king to sign off and leave you with just three final words bye for now